Father in heaven, thank you so much for your watch care over us this past week. Thank you, Lord, for the Sabbath hours. As we're about to start our time together now, just ask for your spirit to lead and guide us. Help us, O Lord, that we might understand your word. Fill us with your spirit and speak to our hearts so personally, so tenderly, that we might hear your voice speaking to us as well. Thank you for you pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This evening, we are continuing our studies on the encounters with Jesus. So last series that we looked at was Hebrews 11. If you've not had a chance to, to listen to that series, you can go back, whether you're listening to this from YouTube or Facebook, there is a playlist there just for those, uh, those studies that we've had together on Friday nights. But this evening, we're going to be looking at Jesus' encounter with Philip and Nathaniel. Philip and Nathaniel. And so, you know, last week we studied about the calling of the first disciples. Four people were called to leave their fishing nets to follow Jesus. That was Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And Jesus, he's not done yet with the calling of the disciples. And we are going to start there in John chapter 1, verses 43 to 44. John chapter 1, 43 to 44. The Bible says this, The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee, and findeth Philip, and saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So very clearly here, Jesus goes forth into Galilee, he finds Philip, and he makes a direct call straight to Philip. And the first thing that Philip does is, he goes, well, the background is he's from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And, you know, we don't know whether they knew each other, whether they're fishermen together. We don't know much about his background at all. But Philip doesn't stop there. When Jesus calls him, he doesn't just get up and leave and go follow Jesus. What happens next? Verse 45 of John chapter 1. Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Philip goes and finds Nathanael. And who is Nathanael? We don't know whether they're brothers or not, whether they're related in any way, but they're definitely good friends, seeing that Philip goes and looks for Nathanael straight away. So he doesn't just get up and follow Jesus, but he goes and looks for his friend Nathanael. But who is Nathanael? I mean, Luke chapter 6, if we go there and start reading in verse 13, it actually talks about the 12 disciples. And look what it says. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples. And of them he chose 12, whom he also named apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter. And Andrew, his brother, James and John. Those are the first four that we've already looked at. But then it says, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called Zealots, and Judas the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which also was the traitor. What I want you to see here is notice that Philip, whom we've already seen in John chapter 1, and Bartholomew are put together. 
And then notice what it says in John 21, verses 1 and 2. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter, and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. What am I trying to show you here? Here we see the disciples and Jesus appears to them and Nathanael is mentioned again as one of those disciples. And we didn't see Nathanael mentioned in, in back in Luke chapter 6 when it listed out the 12 disciples, but we do see Bartholomew. What we can definitely link together is most likely Bartholomew was Nathanael. Okay, who would eventually become one of the disciples of Christ. Look, what lessons can we learn here from Philip though? He went and told his friend. He was actually excited about finding someone that matched the description of whom the Bible spoke about. That would be the Messiah that was soon to come. You know what that tells me? Philip was actually a student of the Word of God, of the Bible. He actually went to his friend Nathaniel, say, Hey, I found somebody that Moses in the law and the prophets did write about. What was he speaking about? He was talking about the Old Testament, but he was a student of the Word of God. That when, when Jesus came walking along, he saw in him the fulfillment of what the Bible had spoken about. We need to be searching our scriptures today, friends. Why? Because we need to see how the Bible will reveal itself in how prophecy is being fulfilled today, such as this pandemic. It is a big sign to tell us, to wake us up, to shake us, not just because we lost a job, not just because our studies have been totally different as in previous years, not because we've had to change job or change our studies or, or change whatever it is, not because there's been major shift in our life, but because there's a major fulfillment of prophecy that we have never seen before. Sure, we talked about pandemics such as AIDS and, and um, the, the swine's uh, disease and the mad, mad cow's disease, the swine flu, sorry. You know, we've, we've seen all of those things, but it not at this scale before. We got to be students of the word, not just for the sake of, oh, it's got to change my heart and my life, but to see how prophecy is being fulfilled today. And look, the people that were living before the times of Christ, even though they only had the Old Testament, they had enough evidence of His first coming as we do today with the Old and the New Testament of His second coming. Not only was Philip a student of the Bible, he was sharing his faith with his friends. When he saw its fulfillment, he went looking to share his faith with probably his best friend or his brother. You know, the importance of sharing what you find in the Bible is necessary to growth in faith. But today, we also need to be searching the Scriptures, not just for, God, help me to be a better person. God, help me to know your will and your way. But to see how today things are being fulfilling Scripture to show us the nearness of Christ's second coming. 
But look at Nathaniel's reaction. Philip comes to him and says, Hey, 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 I, I found this man. He, he, he's the Messiah. He, he's the person that Moses and the law and the prophets have been talking about. But how does Nathaniel react? John chapter 1, 46. And Nathaniel said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Nathaniel replies, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Such a wicked city. He doubted. Are you serious? Really? The Messiah would come from a place that is notoriously known for being so wicked? Impossible. Nazareth really was famous for all the wrong reasons, or infamous, as we should say. Surely the Messiah would not come from such a wicked place, right? Jesus, though, never made an excuse for his background, where he came up grew up from. He never pointed to others saying that they had an unfair advantage. The spotless Lamb of God, He was brought into a wicked part of the city and that's where He grew up. And not only that, He was from a poor family. You know, I think we need to learn to be content. Content in what way? In our background, in our upraising. You know, our upbringing rather. I hear so many people, they, they say, oh, if only, or oh, Ben, you don't understand how I grew up. And we like to point to, to um, our past as to why we are allowed to act a certain way today. You know, we, we, we like to tell people, oh, I, I would grew up like this in such a family. That's why I'm like this. We, we, we tell people, oh, I, I was poor, so that's why I act this way. And, you know, they'll tell you, oh, you, you never grew up like me. You never had you know, such poverty in your place. So that's why you're not, you don't understand, Ben. But Jesus does. He was so poor. He had to had his, help his dad in the workshop from a young age. He had chores to fulfill because the dad was working hard and he had to help both mom and dad at home and in work. But friends, Jesus, he never made an excuse as to why he might have sinned. Of course, he didn't. But if anybody had an excuse for their upbringing and their background that was not probably, probably the best, it could have been Christ. Nathaniel saying what? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? His faith faltered when he heard where Jesus came from. And isn't it true that sometimes we have biases? We make prejudices because someone came from a certain town, someone came from a certain country, you're of a certain ethnic race, you know, we, we have all sorts of biases that we have towards people because of their background, isn't it? And that's what Nathaniel was going through. Really? The Savior? Come out of Nazareth? Nothing good can come out of there. But how did Philip reply? He didn't try to strike up a debate with uh, Nathaniel, he didn't try to justify his, his comments. He didn't try to give his friend a Bible study. He just said to him what? Come and see for yourself. You know, friends, sometimes we think that if we're going to go to the mission field, if we are to be witnesses for Christ, we need to be able to preach or teach or sing or whatever it is. But Philip, he was a successful evangelist and he didn't even use one Bible text. He said, come and see. That's all he said. And you know, friends, 
I think many more people would come to know about Jesus simply if we had just turned on the television for them to watch. Whether that was a Bible study, whether that was a sermon, whatever it was. Or maybe just invite them to church or invite them to care group. Not expecting you to give the Bible study, but just maybe hand out a DVD or a book or just share a link on WhatsApp today, right? It is so easy that we can use all these resources to be a blessing today much more than what had happened in the past where it was simply just word of mouth. I don't even think they had such things as flyers, you know, to post up banners and all of that, right? So look, the, the way to be a witness today is so much easier. And many of us maybe tonight are even praying for our family members and people who have not fully accepted the Lord, but we need to go beyond praying for them, friends. We need to buy a Bible for them to read, maybe. Or we need to send them a sermon or invite them to a church program. Or maybe you're saying in your heart, well, my church doesn't have such a program that I can invite my mom or my dad or my relatives or my friends. Well, why don't you go up to the pastor and say, Pastor, can I run a church program that I can bring my, my, my family to, to church? And instead of sitting there waiting for the church to fill your needs, why not fulfill those needs yourself? You see that, friends? We can get involved in ministry just so we can tell others. Why don't you come and see? Instead of arguing, you just got to say something or do something or try something. So Nathaniel, he goes. His curiosity is stirred. Let's continue. John chapter 1 and verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and saith of him, Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Wait, what did Jesus just declare of Nathanael? He said what? An Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Friends, you know what the word guile means? It means deceit. And of course, look, Nathanael was not being deceitful by saying, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? So, you know, where else is this word guile used? In Revelation chapter 14 and verse 5, the Bible says, And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Nathaniel represents a faultless group of people that will one day stand before God. God will himself will judge them and call them faultless. And in this story, Jesus declares Nathaniel to be without guile. The same Nathaniel that said, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? The very same Nathaniel that was doubtful when his friend came and said, I found a man who fulfills all these prophecies in the Old Testament. You know, friends, it was just like what we studied about Peter last week. Remember when Jesus told him, Peter, throw your net out and get this catch. What did Peter say? Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. He was doubtful, just like Nathaniel. But he didn't stop there as well. He said what? Nevertheless, at thy word, I will try it. Nathaniel was doubtful, friends. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? But yet he was still willing to try. 
He was still willing to go and see. Let me have a look for myself to see whether Philip, Philip and what he really says is true. Because, you know, Philip's a good man. I've been studying with him and I know that he knows the Word of God. Let me just go and have a look. Even though in doubt, he still tried. He still tested. Why? Not only was Philip a student of the Word of God, Nathaniel was as well. Obviously, he also had been waiting for this man in whom Moses in the law and the prophets spoke about. So, with some sort of doubtful anticipation, he went forward to see whether what Philip said was real and true or not. He didn't allow his personal bias to get in the way, his own prejudice to get the better of them. Look, I'm not saying that it's okay to doubt, friends, but let's not allow our doubt to stop us from trying. When all odds seem stacked against you, at least give God a fair chance to prove Himself before you write Him off. And so we continue. John 1.48 Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. You know, Nathanael, he was shocked when Jesus said, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. And he's like, How do you know me, Christ? How do you know me, Jesus? And he said what? Before you ever came, I saw you sitting under the fig tree. Jesus gave an evidence of his divinity. It's not like Nathaniel was just stand, <laughs> sitting right next to him. He was off in a place that Jesus could not see him, and he could not see Jesus. And so he gave evidence that, hey, Nathaniel, I saw you. I knew where you are. You were sitting on that fig tree. You see that? And most likely, Nathaniel was what? He was praying. He was meditating on John the Baptist's words. If you read the earlier part of John chapter 1, I'm sorry, I don't have time to go through it this evening, but if you read the earlier part of John chapter 1, this is the famous um, verse in John 1 where John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And so when you go back and read that, there was a crowd and there were some people that followed Christ even at that point just to see where he lived. Philip possibly was one of them. But Nathaniel was meditating on what John the Baptist had said probably. Could this really be the one? And then here comes Philip, so he goes and checks it out for himself. And now Jesus gives evidence of his divinity. Nathaniel, before you ever came, I saw you sitting under the fig tree. Jesus helped Nathaniel to believe. Friends, what helps us to believe today? What can establish our faith? We don't have Jesus standing there telling us that He knows what we were doing and where we were. But we have something just as powerful. In John chapter 14, 29, the Bible says, And now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, you might believe. Friends, what helps us to believe according to John 14, 29? The Bible says, I tell you before it comes to pass that in what it actually happens, you might believe. Friends, what do we call that? That's called prophecy. God predicting the future in advance before it happens that when it actually happens, we can believe everything that the Bible 
has written about. And the foremost books of prophecy, look, every book pretty much has some prophecy in it, but the foremost books that we know, Daniel and Revelation. It's, it's not just Daniel Revelation, but the whole Bible, yes. But look, these are the books of prophecy that we as Adventists, as we've grown up, we've known about. And they are just as important. Why? Because it tells us things will be fulfilled in the right time. And then when you go over to Matthew 24, it talks about our time, living in the time of pandemic, incurable diseases, pestilences is what the King James Version says. If you don't see the fulfillment of prophecy to help you believe the Bible even more, then we're really missing a big part of our experience. Because, you know, to some people, it's not enough. Even when you study Daniel Revelation, sometimes we choose not to believe like Thomas. Do you know that? As we all know him to be called Doubting Thomas. When Jesus had risen from the grave already, after he died and then been dead for three days, he rose up. Thomas never saw him. The other ten disciples, because Judas hung himself, there were only ten there and Thomas wasn't present. But he received the testimony from his friends his own disciples that had walked with Jesus for three and a half years, and he still chose not to believe. Do you know that? Look at what the Bible says. John 20, 24 to 25. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my side into his si my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas, he chose not to believe, and he wasn't willing to listen to the testimony of his friends, whom some were called to be prophets eventually. Brothers, that he had walked with for three and a half years. He did not want to believe their testimony. And on top of that, he'd forgotten the words of Jesus where he said, they'll kill me, but after three days I'll rise. He'd forgotten everything. He chose not to believe. He chose to stay in unbelief. So are there people that can study prophecy and still miss the mark of what Jesus is trying to do? He's trying to establish our faith. Friends, if your faith is wavering and it seems like the fire that you used to have in your faith and your zeal for God, it, it seems like it's burning out, it's getting dim, you got to go back to re-study the prophecies. God will reignite the flames of your faith again. And maybe you can tell me, oh, well, I've studied Daniel and Revelation before. And maybe you've heard many Daniel and Revelation seminars. Maybe even your church runs a Daniel and Revelation or prophecy seminar. Hint, hint, that and sack. Every year, maybe you get to this point where you even can quote the text of what the preacher is saying because you've heard so many preachers preach it. It doesn't matter, friends. Maybe even you've taught it yourself. Then my next question is this. Are you like Philip? Are you like Philip? Come and see. Have you been inviting your friends? Because it can get to this point where you've heard this sermon a hundred times about the Sabbath or the state of the dead or the second coming. And we hear all these doctrines in, in our head and it doesn't mean anything to us. And if you were to just be like Philip, and you bring your friend, you invite your friend and you see how they react. You see how they get excited about it. And you wonder, oh, 
wow, our truth is really that precious. You begin to treasure it. You see the excitement that can come from inviting your friends. Come and see. Come and see for yourself. Taste of God's goodness. Friends, it's not enough just to listen. But this Word of God must transform us to the point that we go and tell others about this good news. And maybe, just maybe, the reason why your faith is waning this evening is because the truth has just been shut up in your heart and you've held it for so long that you don't realize how precious it is. You know, some people like to complain about their phones or their cars, or the house they live in, until they go and find out that they are actually quite lucky. That you actually have a car, or you actually have a phone that works. And you see how much God has blessed you, and you, you realize that when people see what you have, they get so excited. Whereas you've had it for years, and, and the, the, the joy and the excitement seems to just grow dim. Do you see that, friends? Maybe... What you need is not just more Bible study. Maybe you need to be like Philip and tell others, come and see. You don't have to give a Bible study. Just bring them to a Bible study. You don't have to be the one that teaches. Just invite them to a program. Just share with them on WhatsApp. Just go over to the house and watch with them. Or invite them over to your house and watch with them. Do you see that, friends? It's not only just about storing the Word of God and the truth in your hearts and minds, but it's allowing it to become experiential. Creation is not just a story. It's not, it's, it's, it's not just six days and that's it. It's an experience. So it is with Daniel and Revelation. So it is with the prophecies in the Word of God. It's not just to excite your, your intellectual uh, mind and have this stimulating conversation, but it's got to change your heart. It's got to reach the depths of your soul and help you to realize things need to change in your life if you want to see Jesus come with your own eyes. So Jesus, he proved himself to Nathaniel. And now look at his response. Look at what Nathaniel says. John 1, 49. Nathaniel answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. Right away, Nathaniel, he acknowledges him to be the Son of God. He believed. And it's not because he was a person that's easy to believe anything. It's not that he was gullible. No. Number one, it's because Nathaniel had been studying the Scriptures. And then number two, of course, Jesus proved himself to him. And number three, Nathaniel had simple faith. You know, there's nothing wrong with declaring that Jesus is the Son of God on the spot. And too often, I find that when young people, they make decisions. They go to conferences that, that they're preaching the Word of God and, and they come back and they want to serve God. They want to quit their studies and, and go and serve God or go into the mission field. We think that this young person has lost their mind. They've made an emotional decision and the preachers have pushed them into making this decision and put all this pressure on them and, and deceived them with the truth. Oh, friends, look, you can't ever go wrong choosing Jesus and serving Jesus, Right? Nathaniel, he had simple faith. He had been studying. He had been praying. He had been meditating. And when Jesus came and proved himself to him, he grabbed hold of his hand and never let go. But then Jesus replies, 
John 1, 50 and 51. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree. Believest thou? You believed just simply because I told you? I saw you under the fig tree? You shall see greater things than these. And he said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. You know, Jesus said, look, because you believed, you're going to see even greater things. That simple faith that when he recognized the divinity in this man, Nathaniel grabbed on by faith to really, wow, this really is the Son of God, the King of Israel. And what does it mean that Jesus, when he says, you're going to see angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Nathaniel, because you believed, you're going to see this happen. What did Jesus mean by that? Well, the Son of Man was obviously Christ. Angels of God ascending and descending on Jesus. But what does that mean? What is the ministry of the angels? What does it mean that the angels are ascending up and coming down? through Jesus Christ. Well, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, look at what the Bible says about angels. But unto which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Friends, what is the ministry of the angels? Their ministry is to bring salvation to us. They are working in cooperation with those that are working for the salvation of men and women. And obviously, the one that brought the greatest salvation ever was the foundation of it all, was Jesus Christ. Jesus said to Philip, after this, you are going to see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What is he saying? You're going to see the blessings that will come through me. Not because I can of myself do anything. In John chapter 5, verse 30, uh, Jesus declares that He does nothing of His own self. All that power that He had on this earth was not because He was God. He laid aside His robe of divinity. He laid aside that power. He became a human being. But everything that Jesus did from walking on water to healing the sick, to healing the blind, to raising the dead, all those things that He did, combating the devil, He did it through the ministration of the angels that were working for Him. Angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man, carrying up the prayers of the saints and of Jesus Himself and bringing down the blessings through Him to us. Basically, Christ was calling Nathanael to be one of the twelve disciples privileged to see the ministration of the angels ascending and descending upon and through the life of Christ. And today, God wants His angels to ascend and descend on earth. How? You know the answer. Through you and me. He wants our prayers to go up and He wants to send those blessings down the presence of Christ. He wants us to be that channel of blessing just as 
Christ was. Not studying the Bible for our own self so that blessings can be our own. Not praying just for blessings in our own life, but to be ministers of God. To study to be a blessing to others. To pray to be a blessing to others. Do you want to experience the blessing of answered prayers? Learn to pray for others. Learn to pray for the salvation of others. Why? Because God is in that business today. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, with not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is not willing for anyone to perish. He wants everybody to repent and to be saved. That's His will. And when we pray like that, God's, God will always hear those prayers because that's according to His will. And you've got to expect for the blessings to come down. But the challenge that we face today is too many of us, we're praying selfish prayers. We're praying prayers for ourselves. God, help me with my studies. God, help me with my work. God, help me with my life. God, help me find a, a wife. I feel lonely. God, I need more money so I can get married or I can buy a car or I can buy a house. God, please give me more money so I can retire. We have all sorts of requests for ourselves and so many of them are selfish but if you want to see definitely angels of God ascending and descending, you got to pray according to His will. you got to pray where you know God will definitely answer. And when it comes to the salvation of our fellow brothers and sisters, He will definitely answer. Let's learn to pray prayers that are a blessing to this world. Not only prayers for self, and look, there's nothing wrong with praying for prayers for self. I do, everybody does. But we can't just limit it to that. My work, my life, you know, my studies, my money, my investments, my family. Let's learn to pray for blessings, spiritual blessings, to be poured out on others around us. Our families who don't know Christ, our neighbors. We all have neighbors, no matter where you live. Our friends that are from high school or college or university, people that you've grown up with, your childhood friend, your best friend, whoever that might be, your work colleagues, even customers and people that we meet along the way as we, we are doing our job, whatever it might be, why not today, instead of praying for prayers that are just for you and me, that are just about my life, my own little life in this little box that I'm living in, Let's learn to pray for blessings for other people. And I believe that when you start praying those prayers, it gets easier to say, come and see. You're not ashamed anymore because you've been praying. You've been asking God to, to, to help this person to come to know Christ. Lord, help me share. And then when you get to that person and you realize that, oh, they don't know Christ. Oh, let me invite them. Why don't you come and see? Taste of God's goodness. Not simply because you're just trying to convert somebody. You want to bring them to the well that never will help make them thirsty again. That will be in them a well of water springing up to everlasting life. You're inviting them to, to get to know a man who, who, who wants to give them a blessing, abundant life. 
more than what they're ever experiencing today. Yes, more than the millions that some might have in their bank accounts, more than some people might have in their garage full of cars, more than the big house, 10,000, 20,000 square feet. It's not about that, friends. There is a sort of blessing that only Jesus can satisfy. And tonight, have you tasted of that blessing? Have you yourself realized the goodness of God? And if you have, I know that you want to share it with everybody. You won't be able to hold back. All you need to do is say what? Come and see. Have simple faith. Start praying for your friends, your family, people that you don't even know. Maybe you catch a bus to work every day and you see similar people in the same seats on the same bus week in and week out. You never know. Come and see. Send a WhatsApp message to someone on your list there. A work colleague, maybe. You never know the far-reaching influence. Then you will see angels ascending and descending. As your prayers go up, certainly the blessings will come down. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I know that all of us, we have somebody, and I believe it's more than just one person. There are people in our lives, Lord, that have never heard of your goodness, that have never heard of the gospel, that have never given you a chance. And Lord, this evening, we're listening to this message and we realize the blessings of the gospel. Maybe some of us, we don't. We, we, we've thought that the, the blessings in life is because of our own hard work. We don't realize that you have blessed us. Lord, open our eyes and our mind to that understanding this evening of how you want to bless your children so much. And I pray, Lord, that you would please help us a taste of your goodness. And as we pray for our friends and our family and those that don't know you. Lord, help us to be courageous in inviting them just a taste of your goodness, whether that's a church, whether that's for a care group, or whether that's just even WhatsApping them and sending them a link for a blessing of a message. Lord, help us, Lord, not just to be doers of your word, but sharers as well, because we want to see the blessings. We want to see the spiritual blessings, not not spiritual blessings in our own life that will make us rich and comfortable, but the blessings to know that God is working through us. Father, we are living in serious times. Help us, Lord. Help us, Father, to be witnesses for you because we don't know what tomorrow holds. Only help us to be that blessing today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.